DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents Spiritual Desolation. Be aware, understand, take action with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, a religious community dedicated to retreats and spiritual formation according to the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. He is featured on several series found on the Eternal Word television network. He is also author of numerous books on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, all published by the Crossroads Publishing Company. This particular series is based in part on Chapter 4 of Setting Captives Free, Personal Reflections on Ignatian Discernment of Spirits, Spiritual Desolation, Be Aware, Understand, Take Action, with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Okay, a final quality of spiritual desolation that I've noticed over the years and to which I've finally uh, given a title, which I think helps, and I call it pre-event desolation. And this, we can experience this uh, both before, when faced with new steps in our own personal spiritual lives or if we are active in some way apostolically, whether in a parish or a group that we formed or belonged to or an initiative that we're creating in ministry in some way. And what we will experience is what I call, not always, but I've felt it enough so that I think it's helpful to name it. Let's say one of us feels that, you know, it's really time for me to make a retreat. I've never really done that or it's been a while. And here is one that's being offered a weekend retreat I sign up for it, and I'm looking forward to it. It's several months down the line. And consistently throughout those months, you're really looking forward to a new experience of growth spiritually. And then if we want to give some non-spiritual origins for this, something went poorly at work, or there's a tension in the family, or financial struggles, or physical concerns, And some spiritual desolation begins to get in here and some discouragement. And now the retreat is a week away. And now the thoughts are, I don't know, I don't know, in the condition in which I am spiritually right now, maybe this isn't the right time for me to do this. I can go, but the way I'm feeling now, I probably won't get much fruit out of it or other kinds of thoughts, um, maybe even without any of this discouragement. Yeah, uh, you can go on the retreat. You'll hear some nice things have some times of quiet and prayer, and that will be good, but don't think it's really going to change too much. You know, you're going to come out of it essentially. A little burst of fervor, but you'll wind up being pretty much the way you are now. And so, do you really want to do this, you know? Or as we get closer, and some of this is working in our hearts, things occur to us, you know, I really need to be getting this done, or physically, I'm just not feeling well. And all of this kind of pre-event desolation can I don't want to deny that, you know, if I have acute appendicitis, then I probably shouldn't go on the retreat, mm-hmm. you know. But I think we all know what we're speaking about here. Yep. And I experience this often enough. Let's say I'm invited to do a teaching on discernment in a parish. And of course, I look forward to it. I love doing this. And you get there, or I'm preparing the day before, packing and getting ready. And I find something in me saying, I don't want to do this again. And then you get there, rise early in the morning before the first talk, and I'm going through the notes preparing. I don't want to do all this again. Now, that's happened 
enough over the years so that when I'm when I am spiritually aware, when I'm at my best spiritually, I notice it and I can say, Oh, here we are again, the pre event desolation. And actually then my heart begins to lift because that pre event desolation as I've seen by long experience, generally is there because the enemy is trying to get us to pull back from something that's going to be very fruitful, whether in our own spiritual lives or through us for others, if it's an initiative that we may be taking, you know, apostolically. So it's really useful, I think, to get a hold of that because it's so easy, you know, to, if we give in to that a few days before the retreat, the retreat house gets a call, you know, I'm really not going to be able to come, so I need you to, to cancel me on the list. Was that a real need to cancel, or was it pre-event desolation? You know, just helpful to be aware of that. Wow, this particular teaching right here, Father Gallagher, is something I think we need to prepare people for who are coming into the church, you know, through an RCI program, or maybe through they've experienced a curseo or something like that, but they dedicate themselves to just going to Mass on Sunday. It's not something what may seem extra like going to daily Mass, but it's that malaise that seems to kick in after a certain point where I just don't want to go to Mass today. I just don't feel it. I That setting in, I, I've heard it from more people who have what it looks like, they've left the church. They consider themselves still a practicing Catholic. And I think this happens in the Orthodox experience and even, well, in any Christian church, you have that that drift. It's not even so much where, it's not that they don't believe, it's not that they don't care, but somehow that type of desolation can set in. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Sure. And Again, as we've said many times, uh, there's no surprise in that. There's no shame in that. It's normal spiritual experience. It's to be expected in the spiritual life. But when we are unequipped to deal with it, then all of these qualities that we're describing, uh, when we don't know that they're lies, then it can cause a discouragement. It causes a pulling away. And that's why I said as we started, and that's why actually we're doing this whole uh, set of conversations I really believe that for most faithful people, for most of the way on the spiritual journey, this is the real obstacle. So the difference between not even knowing what it is, uh, not even being aware of it, not, not knowing what it is, not having no idea what to do about it, so that it does weigh on us and it can cause us a sapping of our spiritual energy and a pulling away. The difference between that and being aware of it, being able to name it clearly for this discouraging lie of the enemy that it is spiritual desolation and to know what to do about it what not to do and what to do is huge and that's exactly why ignatius gives the teaching and that's exactly why we're doing what we're doing right now and maybe that's something that for others to be aware you know for example there's a wife who her husband has gotten excited about attending mass again and he's participating and it brings great joy to her heart but then slowly he well i i don't feel like going you go you take the kids and if that understanding of that this could be he might be entering into spiritual desolation her response can be one 
of not so much anger because she's aware that this is part of the spiritual journey and may be able to speak to that to him or even just pray for him, a, a lifting of this desolation. I mean, it's a different paradigm as opposed to seeing the person as someone who is faulting as opposed to a person who's afflicted. That's really important and well said. Yeah, this is a person who's afflicted, like a person who is struggling with temptation. This is a person also who is afflicted. These are the two basic tactics of the enemy that we all experience. So that's why I say, you know, no one has ever said to me, you know, you you keep saying that there's no shame in experiencing spiritual desolation. You say it too much. In 35 years or whatever it's been, no one has ever said that to me because this is exactly where this comes home. Either way, depending on which spouse it is, he or she doesn't need to be at all surprised. We really need to expect it. Uh, This is normal. In a healthy spiritual life, I would say, although we need to respond to the spiritual desolation in healthy ways, but that there be a time when the, the fervor is no longer as warm and the energy is no longer there in the same way. There's no surprise and no shame in that. So if our eyes are opened a little, to go back to Ignatius' initial phrase, and we understand what's going on, then we know how to respond. And in the case that you described, she would know how to be an encouraging presence and a patient presence if necessary, rather than a sharp or accusing kind of presence, which is not what he needs at this point. That's so well said that um, he is he's, he's afflicted. And like someone who is afflicted with a physical illness on a different level of our humanity, uh, what they need is love and encouragement, presence, patience, and accompaniment to see them through. And if it can happen in a situation of a spousal relationship, and it can also happen to our children. It, it, there, How many parents are concerned because their children no longer desire to go to Mass, or there is that there seems to be, there, there may be an issue or two, but usually it's, my experience has been that it's, they'll find an issue to describe just a basic underlying, I just didn't really want to go. I, I don't want to participate in that. And the response becomes fear and anger on the part of a parent or a loved one or, you know, a great friend that you're, you're journeying with and you're wondering why aren't they doing this. So instead of the fear and anger, there's compassion. There is response and love because you're, again, they're being afflicted and you you want to respond to that. Yes, I, I think that the first thing is to reverence the pain in a parent's heart. It's really hard when your faith is so dear to you and you know the difference that it will make in your child's life and it's not there, or at least at this point, in the child's life is not there. So let's just reverence the um, the pain of that. You know, Monica's tears as she watched Augustine for those 20 years, they were from a mother's heart. And then having said that, I think you're, you're very much on target with this, that the need is not for sharpness or harshness. In my own experience of dealing with people, I found that this is a little exaggerated uh, to put this kind of an analytical number on it, but to make a point, that um, 95 to 97% of people respond most to love and encouragement. There's a very small percentage that at times need 
you have to speak pretty loudly or they won't hear you. And if you do speak loudly, oh, you know, oh, I heard something. But most people will respond in this way. So there are three things that I would say to a parent. You know, when a parent says, what can I do? I think there are three things to do. One, obviously, is to pray. Never stop praying for for the children and pray with hope. The child of so many tears will not be lost, St. Ambrose said to St. Monica, and he was right. Uh, Since I mentioned St. Monica, look at the fruit of those mother's tears. Those mother's tears gave the church St. Augustine, who has blessed and has really shaped an awful lot of Western civilization and continues to bless us today. The mother's parents' prayers are very powerful. So prayer. And then uh, example. Without trying to be showy in any way, live an authentic life as a Christian, as a Catholic. Be nourished by the sacraments. Pray daily. Be patient and loving. The qualities of love that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, and the following verses, love is patient, love is kind, not irritable, not resentful. All of those things, be a witness to that. Be striving to grow in that. Try humbly and sincerely to live a real life of faith, a life of holiness. And then just as what drew people to the Christians in the early century at the beginning was, see, look at these Christians, see how they love one another. What do they have that we don't have? So that's the second thing. Just give without noise, without soapboxes, without uh, proclaiming anything. Live an authentic pursuit of holiness. And then the third thing is be loving toward the child. Uh, I don't think we need it. The child knows the parents desire that the child return to the church. The child knows to some degree, maybe not fully, um, the pain that the parent may be feeling over this. There probably is no need to repeat again, you know, are you going to Mass? Or how long has it been? Why aren't you? Those kinds of things. But when there is contact, whether by phone or on holidays or vacations or when you get together, be a loving father, be a loving mother. And in the long run, I think it's those three things, prayer, example, and a loving relationship. Because the fact that they're not going to church in no way impedes being a loving parent toward them. In the long run, those are the things that are more likely to be instruments of God's grace in the child's heart. So I very much want to reverence the pain of that. And um, this is my own sense of what best helps. One thing I have found in teaching the rules, well, actually, this was um, a married woman in her parish who just fell in love with these rules and created a group in her parish to take them through the rules. And when they got to the first of the rules, where Ignatius says that in a person who is heading away from God and living a life of sin far from God, that the good spirit, the Holy Spirit, will sting and bite in the conscience. Just to know that even though their child has walked away from the church, God has not stopped working in the heart of their child. It was was enormously encouraging for those who who were present, who were parents who had children in this situation. And it is a very nice uh, thing to consider that um, even though a person may even want consciously to move away from God, God never moves away from that person. And God will never stop working in the inmost place in, 
in that uh, young man or young woman's heart. We'll return to Spiritual Desolation. Be aware, understand, take action with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. A prayer for the intercession of Venerable Bruno Lanteri. O Father, fountain of all life and holiness, you gave Father Bruno Lanteri great faith in Christ your Son, a lively hope, and an act of love for the salvation of his brethren. You made him a prophet of your word and a witness to your mercy. He had a tender love for Mary, and by his very life he taught fidelity to the Church. Father, hear the prayer of your family, and through the intercession of Father Lanteri, grant us the grace for which we now ask. May he be glorified on earth, that we may give you greater praise. We ask this through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Spiritual Desolation. Be aware, understand, take action with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'd like to share at this point in this conversation around pre-event desolation what I think is the uh, certainly the best literary description of this I've, I've found. And this is in one of the three volumes of C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy entitled Perilandra. Perilandra is the name of the planet where the event takes place. Uh, it corresponds to Venus in the, in the language, in the myth that uh, C.S. Lewis has put together. 
In uh, 1936, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien were in conversation together, and they were saying there just isn't enough of the kind of books that we really enjoy. Books that where the action is set in some mythological setting, but which convey truth. And so they agreed together that they would both write more of it. And uh, the agreement was that C.S. Lewis would write about space travel, and Tolkien would write about time travel, and both of them set to work. And C.S. Lewis produced these three volumes of his space trilogy. Tolkien wrote a rather lengthy manuscript, which was never published, Later, of course, obviously published The Lord of the Rings. Well, this book, Paralandra, is the second in this trilogy of that involves space travel, travel, but set in a myth where spiritual realities are really beautifully described. As the book opens, Lewis puts himself in the action in the first pages of the book, and then he returns at the very end. And he has received uh, a wire from his friend Ransom asking him to come down this evening to his cottage, which is out in the country. So Lewis gets off the train. It's a three-mile walk to Ransom's cottage, and he describes the setting, the gloomy five o'clock sky, autumn afternoon, the few houses, clumps of red or yellowish trees. So he's setting a tone already uh, from the outset as he describes this. Now, in his language, in the myth, good angels and bad angels are called both are Eldila, good and bad Eldila, or a good Edel or a bad Edel. So this is very much uh, in the mythological setting, the space of these rules, the good spirit and the enemy. As Lewis begins to walk through this country setting these three miles to Ransom's house, at a certain point he, he writes this. Ransom had just told him that there was going to be some business they needed to discuss. I guessed what sort of business he meant, which had to do with his travel. And that was why I kept on telling myself that it would be perfectly delightful to spend a night with Ransom, and also kept on feeling that I was not enjoying the prospect as much as I ought to. This is the beginning. So let's think of the person who is a week away from the retreat that she or he has been looking forward to so much. And now it begins just to notice, I, you know, I'm not really looking forward to this as, uh, as much as I, as I thought I would. He continues, as I plodded along the empty, unfenced road, he's setting the mood well, plodded, empty, a marvelous writer, which runs across the middle of the common, I tried to dispel my growing sense of malaise by analyzing it. What, after all, was I afraid of? The moment I had put this question, I regretted it. I was shocked to find that I had mentally used the word afraid. Up till then, I had tried to pretend that I was feeling only distaste or embarrassment or even boredom, but the mere word afraid had let the cat out of the bag. I now realized that my emotion was neither more nor less nor other than fear. And so this might be the man or woman who begins to realize, you know what, I'm honest, I'm really a little afraid of this. Silence like this? the quiet, the being alone, the talks may touch deep things in my lives. So a little bit of fear and malaise, to use his other word, comes in. And then something else happens. This is a long, dreary road, I thought to myself. Thank goodness I haven't anything to carry. And then with a start of realization, I remembered that I ought to be carrying a pack containing my things for the night. I swore to myself, I must have left the thing in the train. 
Will you believe me when I say that my immediate impulse was to turn back to the station and, quote, do something about it? Of course, there was nothing which could be done. The train with my pack in it must be, by this time, miles away. I realize that now as clearly as you do. But at the moment, as the heaviness is growing, it seemed perfectly obvious that I must retrace my steps, and I had indeed begun to do so before reason or conscience awoke and set me once more plodding forward. So this can be another part of the pre-event desolation. Oh, wait a minute, there's really that that I've got to get done. I don't think I can, I can do it. In doing this, so he now starts forward again, I discovered more clearly than before how very little I wanted to do it. This next sentence is a good description sometimes of what we can feel in what I'm calling pre-event desolation as it's getting closer. It was such hard work that I felt as if I were walking against a headwind. You know, each day as I get closer, it gets harder and harder to think of doing this. So he does continue walking, and then a little further on, once more, just as when I had discovered that I had no pack, the impulse to go no farther returned to me. Go back, go back, it whispered to me. Send him a wire, tell him you were ill, say you'll come some other time, anything. The strength of the feeling astonished me. I stood still for a few moments, telling myself not to be a fool. Now watch this next thread in the pre-event desolation. Obviously I wasn't fit for any such jumpy, in quotes, business, as his telegram almost certainly referred to. I wasn't even fit to spend an ordinary weekend away from home. My only sensible course was to turn back at once and get safe home. You know, just the way I'm feeling right now with this uh, heaviness and confusion, and I feel sort of kind of tired, and I've been working hard. I don't think I'm in any condition right now to go to this retreat or begin that group or take that new step in my life of prayer. And then another thing comes into this. Maybe Ransom himself, his friend, is being duped by the enemy, and this whole business is skewed in some way. And so he writes. Now he comes to a standstill. The reader, not knowing Ransom, will not understand how contrary to all reason this idea was. The rational part of my mind, even at that moment, knew perfectly well that even if the whole universe were crazy and hostile, Ransom was sane and wholesome and honest. And this part of my mind, that deep, honest part that underlies the pre-event desolation, sent me forward, but with a reluctance and difficulty I can hardly put into words. Okay, we could go on with it. Uh, we'll take one more piece from this. When he does now finally reach the cottage, and he has to walk up the, the short walkway to the front door. I reach the front door of the cottage. Somehow or other, despite the loathing and dismay that had pulled me back, and a sort of invisible wall of resistance, another nice description of this, that met me in the face, fighting for each step, and almost shrieking as a harmless spray of the hedge touched my face, I managed to get through the gate and up the little path, and now he's there. And Ransom is not immediately there. After some wait, Ransom arrives and they meet. And I'll just read a a very little bit of this encounter. I'm glad to see you, said Ransom, advancing and shaking hands with me. Then, seeing, I suppose, that I was still staring at him rather stupidly, after all of this uh, tense experience, he added, I say, you're all right, aren't you? You got through the barrage without any damage? The barrage? I don't understand. Barrage is a great word for it. 
I was thinking that you would have met some difficulties in getting here. Oh, that, I said. You mean it just wasn't just my nerves? There was really something in the way? And it isn't just our nerves. There's an enemy who doesn't want us to take steps that are going to cause such good for us and maybe through us for others if they're pastoral. There was something really in the way? Yes, they, the enemy, didn't want you to get here. I was afraid something of the sort might happen, but there was no time to do anything about it. I was pretty sure you'd get through. And, and they go on. But I find that a very uh, well-crafted and insightful description of what I'm calling this uh, pre-event desolation, which picks out various threads in it and describes them well. Like everything else about desolation, it's all a lie. There's, no, there's nothing to it. And as I said earlier, as the years have gone by, I've actually come to see that kind of heaviness as I approach an event as a good sign because it very likely means and experience keeps confirming for me that something very blessed and fruitful is going to happen in that event, whatever it is. We'll continue our conversation on spiritual desolation in our next episode. You've been listening to Spiritual Desolation, Be aware, understand, take action with Father Timothy Gallagher. This particular series is based in part on Chapter 4 of Setting Captives Free, Personal Reflections on Ignatian Discernment of Spirits. You can find this book on Father Gallagher's website at fathertimothygallagher.org. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Spiritual Desolation. Be aware, understand, and take action with Father Timothy Gallagher.